Hello and welcome back to the Book Wrecked podcast, where we talk books, movies, writing struggles, and everything in between. I'm one of your hosts, Minerva, and I've spent the last week hyperfixated on WandaVision. I'm Irene, and I have a newfound appreciation of Cat Noir. And I'm Vesta. And a fact about me is that boba is my love language. So ladies, how has your week been? It's been going okay. I've actually read from Blood and Ash, um, along with the new book that came out, Chain of Iron. Um, We'll probably talk about Chain of Iron in a segment in the future, but for now, From Blood and Ash was just such an incredible book to read because I'd gone through like a really huge book slump. And it was just so interesting to read about the two main characters, Poppy and Hawk. And I think their relationship is something that we haven't really seen in fantasy before. Like it is, it does go through the whole forbidden love situation, but it's done so well. And the writing itself isn't like, yeah, I also read From Blood and Ash by Jennifer L. Armentrout, um, as well as the second book, A Kingdom of Flesh and Fire. So, and From Blood and Ash was an amazing book. I would have to say that the second part of the book was even better than the first half, um, in my opinion. Um, And then for me, the second book was even more captivating than the first book uh, because of the world building. The world just seemed to expand and we got to learn a lot more about the background of the setting, which is so intricately done. And I loved it. Um, And also the chemistry between Hawk and Poppy. Yeah, about the world building, like I don't think I've seen something like this where Um, In this series, the gods are really, really close to the actual citizens of this world. And I feel like in in a lot of books, they see the gods as like this some other entity that like they can't particularly touch. But then they seem really a part of this world in this. But then there's just so much that we also don't know. But we're also simultaneously really immersed in this world. So we feel like we're there and that we could like reach out and contact the gods whenever. So I think that was just a really interesting thought. Um, Yeah, you'll definitely see a bit more of that. Um, Keep a lookout for that in the next book. That sounds, instead of reading Blood and Ash, I read Chain of of Iron. And then I also read Ignite Me by Tahara Mafi. And I've been putting it off for the longest time, but I finally decided to hunker down and finally read it. And This book kind of blew my expectations a little bit because the first two books I didn't really like. I didn't think Aaron Warner was a very great fleshed out character. I thought that he was very traumatic and kind of toxic, but at the beginning, it was hard to see him in a different light. And we went through Juliet's psyche. It didn't feel like a book. It felt like a collection of scenes all woven together. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of these characters, when when they find their romantic partners, they're not like very compatible. It feels like they're projecting their trauma onto their romantic partners. And I definitely felt like this wasn't a very healthy relationship. And yeah, otherwise the plot was very easygoing. It felt like everything just fell into place for Juliet, the main character. And overall, I don't think I very much liked it, but it was better than the first two books because the beginning made me laugh a lot and Kenji is the driving force of this entire series like if you don't read this book for anything else just read it for Kenji he's he's completely worth it Um, I also read this book and it was nice in the sense that 
Juliet and Warner, they do have a lot of chemistry. I just, I wasn't a huge fan of how Adam was kind of, like if any of you have read A Court of Thorns and Roses, it felt like a Tamlin situation where the other end of the love triangle was just made to seem like a horrible person. Like all of a sudden they did like this whole 180. Um, Like at the end of it, she suddenly decided to think that she was capable of leading an entire nation country like where did that ego come from she's literally a teenager she is not qualified for this but she's like there is no other person that can do this but me it has to be me yeah there's nothing you did that made it the most qualified person except that you have really good powers that's really it and I thought we went past the point of loving main characters like your typical YA protagonist she's really is very pretty everyone loves her she's so strong she's so kind and benevolent and perfect it really irks me to see a character like that glamorized throughout the book and I'm glad that YA has moved past that and to more complex characters just reading it made me go back to that section of why that was not very nice yeah and speaking of imperfect characters all three of us read Akispa or a court of silver flames by sarah j mass which brings us to our next section of this podcast To begin our next segment, we will be talking about A Court of Silver Flames by Sarah J. Maas, which reveals the long-awaited story of Nesta Archeron, Pharaoh's older sister, and the war general of the Night Court, Cassian, and their searing romance. The two characters take a dip into politics and magic, and through their shared reconciliation, they begin to actively fight against the forces that threaten peace. This portion will have spoilers for the entire series thus far and the contents of this novel. Enjoy! So, Akasif, um, I really went into this book thinking that it would be a lot of Nessian smut, um, it would be very spicy, and I didn't think it would be as deep as it ended up becoming. And it was, very, it was a very soul-touching book. Um, it brings trauma to light, it talks about abuse, it talks about abuse in a very raw and respectful way that I learned to appreciate throughout the book. But when I finally ended the book, I felt this sense of like satisfaction from Nesta. And at first I didn't really like Nesta. I thought she was kind of a bitch. And it was almost hard to accept the complexity of her trauma and how she dealt with it until the end. But when I finally ended it, she was, she was my favorite character the whole way through. I've loved Nesta for a really long time. Like I just, I always thought she had like this potential inside of her. But then again, she was like not the nicest person for the past like what three, four books. But then just seeing her come into her own. And I think one of the biggest parts for me that felt so heavy in this book was when she was being trained by Cassian. And then she made the decision to put up that sign up sheet in the library for the other priestesses to like come and learn how to defend themselves because she was going through like this emotional and physical change and she wanted to share that with other people who she thought may need it as much as she did and I think that was like one of the first times that we see her really caring about others and we see what her character is really like underneath this hard cold icy person so many people hate you know that was probably one of my favorite parts for me in terms of my initial thoughts I remember, 
I stayed up all night to read this book. I literally started it on the night that it came out and I read it up until like about 6 a.m. in the morning. And then I was just overflowing with emotions and I wanted to talk to someone about it. But because I stayed up so late to read it, I didn't really have anyone to discuss it with. But it was such a beautiful book. And although it wasn't perfect, it was very close. And the journey that Nesta took was so touching. Like first semester of my high school this year uh, was a pretty hard time for me. And having read that book after having a hard time just made it even more um, powerful to me. And I could really tell that Sarah J. Moss put like her heart and soul into this book. Not that she doesn't do that for her other books. I can definitely tell that she always puts her all into her books. But this one especially, I thought was very emotional. Can we talk about how this book is essentially like the before to a history book. Like if you think about it, the people in the Akatar universe are going to be like reading about Nesta and Gwen and Emery in their history books and seeing them as heroes. And they're going to be immortalized as heroes who brought back the Valkyries. But I just think it's so incredible to see what it's like in their heads and just see them at their lowest points where they weren't heroic and where so many people like actually hated them like a majority of the fandom hated Nesta but then like when you think about in this fictional world when younger children read about these people in school they're going to be seeing these characters who we get to see now be themselves and I just think that's so special it's like knowing one of the presidents maybe before they were like immortalized in the history books like back in the day you know you feel kind of special knowing that all their struggles and how far they've come yeah and like to me the scene that really stood out in terms of showing how momentous um the valkyries were was when gwen first cut this uh the silk ribbon i remember sarah worded it like it was as if history or fate stood on end to watch this moment and that like fate was going in a direction and then chose to switch directions based off of what happened and I thought that was such a beautiful way to word that to show how impactful this moment was and I literally cannot wait for future books to see if Nesta and the Valkyries are going to face off in battle and um, that was a part that Nesta mentioned in the book thinking if given the chance if the other Valkyries would join her um, in fighting against an evil. And in the back of my mind, I like know, like the, the Valkyries will agree to fight with her. And oh my goodness, such an amazing um, bond that these Valkyries have formed and that they are choosing like, never again am I going to be powerless. And that is so amazing. And even though like in our world, We may not get the chance to fight like Valkyries, but we can definitely find our own ways to become Valkyries. Um, And whether that be um, through taking action, like for a political thing that you feel very strongly about or through pursuing your education, it, it can be translated to many things and used as a metaphor. And I love that part. I think the thing with this book is it just kind of lays out this groundwork for a path of healing like a lot of the criticism for this book has been that the plot itself wasn't 
as intense. But I think that was done on purpose because the whole point of it is to document a healing journey that can be inspiring to other people so that when you read it, you can kind of see the steps that people can take to heal something that might have happened to them in the past or just like a part of them that's always been there that they want to change. And I think that's just really beautiful because obviously healing looks different for everybody, but just seeing that Nesta can go through all of that and end up in this really beautiful place where she has a family and she feels at home with herself. Like she didn't feel at home anywhere really. And like now that she's found it, it's not just a place, it's like a group of people that she used to absolutely hate. And I just, I think that that's so incredibly powerful for people to read about and see they can really put themselves in that position. It's going to be really important for a lot of other people's healing journeys as they read this book as well. That being discussed, now we'll move on to some of the major themes that we saw in the book. Uh, One of them that I wanted to bring up was the concept of friendship. And Sarah J. Moss is a master at writing friendships, in my opinion. Uh, First, we see this with like the friendship between Kale, Aelin, and Dorian. We also see this with Danica and Bryce. Um, But the friendship between Nesta, Gwen, and Emery was gorgeous. I love this friendship. And we really got to see it develop when they did do the blood rite. When Gwen told Nesta during the blood rite and they were like climbing to the top, I won't leave you or like something like that. I will never leave you. I started mm-hmm. crying because that's what friendship is. Just the whole blood right in general and how they fought to get to each other and they didn't leave each other because I think Emery was the one that was really injured and one of the other people in this blood right would have just left her there because without her weighing them down, it would have been a lot easier for them to get to the top. But the fact that they stuck together and then when, when they found Gwen and she was like, you guys came for me, And she was like a little bit surprised because she hadn't felt that kind of friendship and sisterhood before. Like that was beautiful. It makes you think that like everyone should have that, you know? Manifesting a Valkyrie trio for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also wanted to talk about how um, Nesta hating herself, like the strongest parts of herself and it manifesting as anger and lashing out is a different response to trauma than I expected and I saw from YA characters and I wanted to just put that out there that anger manifests and trauma manifests in many different ways and seeing that diverse reaction was very eye-opening for me because it's very relevant to real life because sometimes when I get angry I lash out at people and I don't really mean it sometimes but I liked seeing Nesta do the same things that I did and her healing from that, which gave me inspiration to evaluate like why I got angry. And it was very nice reaction, (laughs) very comforting. So um, when I was reading the book, I'm the kind of person who wants to pick out details of the book that I didn't really like. I think I'm just like that. But um, I was noticing that Farah felt a lot like an angel, a very saintly figure. She was a very good person throughout this book, and maybe that was just her response to healing throughout the first three books, but it was very unflawed. I didn't see, I didn't expect to see that from Nesta's perspective, and maybe that's just because Nesta is an unreliable narrator, but Farrah was just a very good person, like, no matter what throughout this book, and she forgave Nesta for everything. Um, She even offered 
to tell her what the gender of the baby was before she told anyone else. Um, it was very concerning, but maybe that's just because Nessus and Enri were now narrators. Sarah got pregnant and then she turned into like a saint. Exactly, so, like I don't a goddess, know. an angel. I would have liked to see a little bit more conflict on her end, but maybe it's because her story of conflict has like ended um, and then we wanted to focus on Nesta a little bit more, whatever the case. Anyway, um, Rhysand not being as perfect as he was made out to be in the first three books was super eye-opening. And I like seeing Rhysand from the perspective of Nesta particularly because she doesn't like Rhysand and Rhysand doesn't like her. And their journey was very interesting. But him not telling Farah about the fact that she might die raised a few concerns yeah. in my head. It's like, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the outcome of that? And going back to how Farah was a saint, she literally, I don't know how they dealt with that, but she, I bet she forgave him for it so easily. Like She cried for two seconds. Yeah. And then she, the next time she talked to Cassie and she's like, oh, well, I've forgiven him. You know, like yeah, I yelled like, at him a little bit and now I'm done. Yeah. A uh, part of me is glad that it wasn't a huge thing about like Farrah and Rhysand having a huge fight over this situation because obviously Farrah might die. And if in the case that Farrah would have died, they would have had like their time together would have been ticking. Okay, but what does this say about Reese, though? I would have liked to see him try a little bit harder to, like, apologize for the fact that he, I mean, he did realize that it was wrong at some point. And then once Farah found out, he, I, I'm pretty sure he, like, must have apologized to Farah at some point. But we don't get to see what he did to make up for it. And then yet everyone begins to hate Nesta as if this is the worst thing she's ever done. When, like, Feyre yeah. actually was happy about it. Yeah, maybe Nesta said it in anger, but, like, at least now Feyre knows that she might die. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, now on to predictions for the next book. Someone probably has mentioned this already, but here are some that we found were the most interesting to us. Um, we think that there's going to be an as book next, um, based on the hints that have been dropped in Akasifu. <laughs> And um, just to note that whoever's book it is next definitely sets a tone for what ships are going to be endgame, kind of, but it does set a tone and it does set a vibe for how the book is going to go. Yeah, I think that if the next book is as, there is probably going to be a higher chance that Gwenriel is going to work out versus if it's an Elaine book, I think that Elriel might have a chance. But in terms of my preference, I would prefer to have an as book next because I love as and as is like one of my favorite characters. But if we do have an Elaine book next, I am excited to see if she gets a bit more spicy. <laughs> um, and if we get a bit more um from her, which I would love to see. Yeah, which brings us to the Elriel versus Gwenriel endgame. Um, oh my goodness, the fandom <laughs> has broken over this ship yeah. war. Like it's insane. It There's is insane. so many predictions. So many the like, amount of fan art that has been circulating everywhere. It's good fan art. Oh my goodness. Like the um, chemistry between like Gwen and Az is immaculate. Um, and given that even though there were a lot of hints about El Real throughout the books, keep in mind Tamlin was a thing, first book. Also keep in mm -hmm. mind, Rowan did not show up until Air of Fire. So really, anything can happen. Anything's game. <laughs> 
I'd like to bring up that as the shadows, which are a huge part of him, they're something everybody has been really talking about. And like, I agree during that whole part where as is giving Ness a gift and Nesta hugs him, um, his shadows were happy and like dancing around a little bit because they like are in tune to his emotions. And then when you're comparing um, his relationship with Elaine and his relationship with Gwen, when he was with Elaine, they like skittered away. They tried to hide themselves so he would seem almost like normal. Um, and if you've read the bonus chapter with Azriel and Elaine and Gwen, that was at the end of some special editions of Ephesus. He just hated himself for like touching Elaine's skin when he was putting the necklace around her neck. He like there was so much self-loathing in there. But then around Gwen, like his shadows were dancing and they like intertwined with her breath as if they were dancing to a song, I think was the quote. And and they have such easy banter. It's like he shouldn't have to hide a whole part of who he is because being a shadow singer is going to be with him forever. And if he has to hide part of that and if he hates himself while he's around Elaine, like that just seems so unhealthy compared to when he's around Gwen and he can just be himself. I think he needs someone who's going to make him hate himself a little bit less. Oh, I've actually read this psychology concept where it said that um, where wherever you feel butterflies, whenever you feel butterflies around that person, that means that they're not the right person for you because that's actually anxiety just embellished as butterflies. Um, but if you feel calm and just loved and safe around another person, that means that you're genuinely compatible and perhaps you could end up with that person, which is what Az feels when he's with Gwen. But with, with Elaine, he's a controlled part of himself. And I feel like he's putting up the best version. But with Gwen, he just kind of lets his mask down a bit. And I like to see that. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is, you're the new ribbon Az, which to me just mm-hmm. screams mm-hmm. endgame energy. So my prediction is Gwen Riel is endgame. However, if Elaine and Az do end up together and they're both happy and Gwen is a queen somewhere else and is uh, thriving, then I will be perfectly fine with Elriel being a thing. But as of right now, Gwen Riel is my ship. If Gwen doesn't end up with Azriel, then she should not be a part of this love triangle situation at all. I just want all three of them to be respectively happy and in their own spaces. So until then... I am a Gwynriel shipper because they just have more chemistry, but I could come around to Elaine. I could. Okay, so now we come to Eris, and Eris is just this really interesting character that I was really entranced with the entire book. I was always constantly on my toes because he's devious. He's like holding, I feel like he's holding himself back from like revealing the truth and he has a darker past than what we see. And I just want to know his connection to Moore. It's always been hinted, but is it possible they could be mates and he knew it, but Moore didn't? Any thoughts? Ooh, I really like that idea, actually, because they keep hinting that Eris was, like, when he left Moore, when her family nailed, like, a note to her body or something, yeah. and they left her at the edge of the dawn court. Or was it the autumn court? Autumn court, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, they left her at the edge of the autumn court and waited for Eris to like come pick her up, I guess. And then he didn't. He like came and saw her and then he left. And nobody knows what happened during that event. But in this book, we get a lot of hints that it wasn't completely Eris's fault that he left. And I think that part of this entire reason is that Moore wanted him to leave. And then Eris keeps saying things like Moore won't admit something to herself. 
And maybe that's the fact that they're mates, but then more obvious would not ever be in a relationship with Eris. So I don't know. Yeah. And one of the things I think is like the most telling about Eris's character is when Cassian goes to see him at the end of the book. And Cassian says, quote, I think he might be a decent male, deep down, trapped in a terrible situation. And then at the end of the chapter, he's like, you're just too much of a coward to act like one. And that just, like, oh my goodness, the foreshadowing here. I completely think that Sarah is going to go more into his backstory. I feel like understanding more and her entire story, it's just been so murky. Like, it's long overdue that we figure out what happened with her and where she's going to go because she's kind of been like in and out of these books lately and she's such an interesting character that I think needs more light and we just don't get that so I would be all for like an heiress book that like ties into more and then possibly Emery because I'm totally getting behind the more and Emery ship even though it was like literally one moment in the library <laughs> yeah I think it would be great the one moment where Emery was just, she just looked at more like she's this shining beacon of light and I knew it. Since we come to our near conclusion of our podcast, here's our hot take for the day. Tamlin may be Gwen's father. We have seen this theory in circulation on the internet a lot. And given that Gwen's mother conceived her on Callan May, the biggest occasion in the spring court, it could be a real possibility. Um, And this would also open the doors to a Tamlin redemption book as he develops a kind of father-daughter relationship with Gwen. Um, Although there isn't much evidence for that theory because the details are very, very vague, Gwen might actually have to explain her past in detail with like specific names and like events to cite it, um, other than the one scene that we just got from her. Let us know what you think in the comments or DM us on Instagram, which is at bookreftpodcast. And that's all we have for this episode of Book Wrecked. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again on our next adventure. Bye.